I'd like to tell you a, a parable about the law and justification by faith alone. In Pop Warner football, there is an age weight division named Tiny Might for kids ages 5 through 7, uh, weighing 35 to 75 pounds. Imagine 11 Tiny Mites decked out in their little helmets and pads taking the field. They're, they're so cute and so bright-eyed and so ready to play and win. Who are they playing? Uh-oh, here come the mighty Manheim Central Barons. Now, I don't want to vilify the Barons here, but I really want to make this point. So uh, bear with me here. The tiny mites watch these testosterone-filled titans take the field and line up on defense. With terror, the tiny mites reluctantly approach the line of scrimmage to, uh, to take their offensive positions in the shadows of their opponents. Some of the tiny mites start to cry. They know what's coming. They're sucking their thumbs instead of their mouth guards. They had a play, but they realize it's not going to work. And when the ball is sheepishly snapped, the carnage begins. After one play, the little tiny mites are laying all over the field. It looks like the Battle of Gettysburg. The barons are an impenetrable wall of discipline, muscle, and speed. The tiny mites have absolutely no hope of moving the ball past the line of scrimmage. All of a sudden, you hear rap music over the loudspeaker. It's Wiz Khalifa, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. And all of a sudden, the Pittsburgh Steelers show up with their game faces on. They gently pick up the bruised and beaten tiny mites. They carry them on their shoulders to the sidelines, and they say, trust us, boys. Watch what we can do. The Steelers take the field and line up against the Barons. The ball is snapped, and pure domination follows. The Steelers not only move the ball, they crush the Barons at every turn and post an astronomical win for the tiny mites. The Steelers dominate for the Tiny Mites, and their win counts for the Tiny Mites. All the Tiny Mites can do from the sideline, just standing there, is cheer wildly for the Pittsburgh Steelers' success. They cheer because out there are these superstars that are winning for them, that have won for them. And, and because of that, they too, the little tiny mites, they get to be champions too. This is a picture of justification by faith. This, this parable represents how Christ fulfilled the law and is our righteousness as we trust him. I know it's not perfect, but I hope it gets the point across. I have one simple point to make. The whole thing is about this point. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Get the big picture of Galatians. There was confusion in the churches regarding the law and gospel, and Paul wrote to clear up confusion. Paul defended his apostleship, defended his gospel unity with the other apostles. Why? Well, in order to... Make sure that the Galatians understood the true gospel. He wanted them to remember that along with the other apostles, he too was an apostle chosen and commissioned by Jesus Christ. And that the gospel he preached to them was the true unadulterated gospel. 
False teachers had crept into the Galatian churches and were adding law-keeping to the gospel, which was a burden for the church, and perhaps especially for the Gentile brothers and sisters. The false gospel of faith plus works equals justification was robbing the church of freedom. In fact, the Galatian Christians were turning to that false gospel of faith plus works equals justification, and they were deserting God, and it was a very serious situation. Today, we come to the central theme of Galatians and an essential truth of the gospel, justification by faith alone. And we need that word alone in there. The word alone was among the greatest causes of the Reformation. It is a a critical difference between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, and I think that you'll see in, in our text today how necessary alone really is. Roman Catholicism affirms justification by faith, but not by faith alone. See, Roman Catholic doctrine considers good works a contributing cause of justification rather than the inevitable result of justification. That's not the gospel. So the stakes are high here. What you believe about justification is not a matter of petty differences, not a matter of theological hair splitting, but a matter of having the gospel or not having the gospel, having Christ or not having Christ. Justification by faith alone uncovers the beauty and supremacy of Jesus Christ and provides great comfort, assurance, peace, joy, and gratitude for believers. Dear saints, I want you to have the joy of justification by faith alone, and to not live under the burden of the law and the burden and fear of works righteousness. So I I hope to help you better understand Galatians 2. Now before I dig in, just to make sure that you've gotten Paul's big point here, here it is again. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's another way to say that. God does not accept and love you because you are good and do good things, but because Christ is good and did good things for you and took your sin and guilt upon himself on the cross and because God accredits the perfect goodness of Christ to you through faith alone so he can now consider you good as Christ is good. In other words, God accepts and loves you not because of your merits, but because of the merits of Christ, which count as yours when you trust Christ alone. The whole book of Galatians helps you understand that justification comes through faith alone. And verse 16 explicitly explains that. So if you truly believe, verses 15 and 16, you should leave here today really, really happy really, really happy, with a happy heart that is overwhelmed by God's grace, and you should leave here more in love with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever struggle with deep feelings of guilt and shame and remorse? Verses 15 and 16 are among the most comforting and assuring verses in the Bible if you believe them. 
when you believe verses 15 and 16, they remove the burden of the law from your shoulders. They, they actually work in your heart through faith to alleviate your guilt, your shame, and your remorse. They give you truth to combat things like anxiety and fear and insecurity and stress and feelings of worthlessness, even spiritual laziness. If you're like, why am I just spiritual lazy? Verse 15 and 16 explain how the acceptance and love of God work. Saints, the biblical doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the motivation for worship and good works. That's if you understand and you believe it. You see, deep doctrine or theology is always immensely practical and helpful. Always. If for no other reason than to give us a grand view of God in all of His glory. So that we can be thankful for God. So... So let's dig into Paul's glorious and joy-inducing words here. Starting with verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Number one, even the Jews, even for Jews, justification is by faith alone. Now, Jews and Gentiles were historically separated. The Jews were God's chosen nation, his visible church and covenant community of the Old Testament. Paul said about the Jews in Romans 9... To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. That's amazing. Well, the Gentiles had none of that. If anyone was going to be justified by works of the law, it was going to be the Jews. The Jews, whom God gave the law. Paul was Jewish by birth. Peter was Jewish by birth. The other apostles were Jewish by birth. Some of the Galatian Christians were Jewish by birth. But you see, they all knew that justification was not by the law, but through faith alone. Now, it kind of seems like Paul was kind of insulting the Gentiles, kind of giving them a little jab here, the Gentile sinners. Well, he wasn't doing that. Look, Look at verse 16. Yet we know, who knows? Paul knew, Peter knew, the Galatian Jewish Christians knew. What did they know? Jewish Christians knew this. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a big statement for, the, for a Jew to make. Being Jewish and following the ceremony, ceremonial law could not justify. Paul told the Galatians later on, for in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Law-keeping can't justify. It never could. Justification was always about trusting God. Trusting God. Remember, you've got to think back to how Peter rebuked, or how Paul, rather, rebuked Peter. Verses 15 and 16 confirm what Paul was saying to Peter, the point he was trying to, to drive home. Even the apostle Peter, okay, needed to be reminded of the priceless doctrine of justification by faith alone because he was living inconsistently with it at that moment. Verse 16 is clear, it's candid, it is among the most important verses in the Bible. And Paul's repetition in this verse uh, shows us how much he really wanted to make justification by faith alone clear. You know, don't spin this, This this is what he's saying, this is how it is. He wants to make it clear. So, 
As we look at verse 16 in particular, let's, uh, let's consider some definitions as we dig into these, these terms. Number two, what does justified mean? What does justified mean? The verb to be justified shows up three times in one verse, in verse 16. All three uses are passive. Here's what that means. Justification is not something you do. It's something that is done to you. You don't do it. It's something that's done to you. It's something, something that's done for you and done to you. That's very important. To be justified is to be vindicated under the law, acquitted under the law, declared innocent under the law. Do you got that? Okay, it's a legal term. So let's say you're accused of robbing the Waffle House, of all things, on Route 30. And in the courtroom, definitive evidence is presented that proves you did not do it. You were in church on that Sunday morning when the Waffle House was robbed. The judge would then clear you of all charges and, and he would declare that you are not guilty or that you are righteous or that you are justified under the law. You following this? Okay. In the courtroom of God's law, to be justified is to be counted entirely righteous by God. The ESV puts a little footnote by the word justified, which reads, or counted righteous. To be justified is to be counted righteous by God. Now hold on to this thought. Because God is holy and good, he can only accept and love those who are perfectly righteous under the law. Remember that. So what about texts like James 2.10, Romans 3.23, Psalm 143.2, Romans 3.10, which all confirm that no one is righteous and everybody is guilty under the law. What do we do with that? If no one is righteous and everyone is guilty under the law, how can anyone be justified? And that's what Paul was answering. There is a way for guilty sinners to be justified and considered righteous by God, but there's only one way. One way, and that one way was being confused in the minds of the Galatian Christians in the churches. So Paul wrote this letter to clarify the gospel, to clarify that one way, that, that one precious way that sinners can actually be considered righteous by God and therefore fully accepted and fully loved by God. Now Paul began with how a person is not justified. He said a person is not justified by works of the law. So he was making it crystal clear. Works of the law are not the way to be justified. Number three, what are works of the law? Real quick, when Paul said by works of the law, he meant by means of works of the law. Justification is either by means of works of the law or by means of faith alone. It, it, it cannot be a, a combination. It's one or the other. So what are works of the law? We need to know what they are because they're not the way to be justified. Works are what you do. Actions, accomplishments. You could call them merits. Merits. If you paint a picture or write a poem or build a deck, 
and someone says, I, I like your work. They're commenting on what you have done, something that you've accomplished. Well, what's the law? Paul certainly meant the ceremonial law, things like Old Testament circumcision and food laws, maybe even national civil laws of Israel. But Paul also meant the moral law, which is summarized as love God and love your neighbor perfectly all the time, everywhere. Philip Ryken said, quote, It is clear that he views the problem of works righteousness to include both ritual ceremonies and supposed moral attainments. Both. Okay? So works of the law are things like getting circumcised or not eating bacon and staying faithful to your wife uh, and not robbing the Waffle House. Those are works of the law. It's law-keeping. Verses 15 and 16, they assume that no one is righteous and everyone is guilty. So Paul's point then, those who are guilty under the law cannot be declared righteous by God simply by getting circumcised. They cannot be justified under the law simply by following a few dietary commands or by being a good person and doing a bunch of good things. It doesn't work that way. In other words, a guilty person is not accepted and loved by God because they are nice and they have a wonderful reputation in the community. That's not how it works. That's not how it works because their niceness and reputation are not enough to please God because God's law requires complete and utter moral perfection at every point. Guilty sinners don't have moral perfection. Paul ruled out self-righteousness as a means of being accepted and loved by God. Paul was saying, when you are guilty, there is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. You're stuck. Guilty under the law. Scholar Timothy George said this, quote, No human deeds however well-motivated and sincerely performed, can ever achieve the kind of standing before God that results in the verdict of justification. End of quote. So the Galatian Christians, they were just confused about the gospel, how this law thing works and the gospel thing works. And, and so Paul needed to write to remind them that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he was essentially saying, so stop acting like we're justified by our works. Maybe you assume in hearing this, pastor, this is so painfully simple. Everybody knows this. Most Christians today understand this. And I would respond, if so, simply listen to how many professing Christians explain their salvation. Just listen. It doesn't take much. It is not uncommon to hear professing Christians almost entirely avoid the law and Jesus Christ and almost exclusively go to and highlight their Christian parents, their Christian upbringing, their church attendance, their Sunday school involvement, or their good works, how they did this and that and this in the church. And it's concerning when you hear that. It, it grieves the heart. If someone asks you, brothers and sisters, about your salvation, take them quickly to your sin and misery and guilt. 
Take them to what the law says about you and then take them to the foot of the cross where Christ is, where he has grace for you and then end with your gratitude and joy and peace and comfort that Jesus Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Go there. Go there. Go to his redeeming and motivating grace. Don't start with your attempts at goodness. That is so discouraging to hear professing Christians go there. And I've heard it. And you probably have too. Like the Galatian Christians, we are constantly tempted to drift from justification by faith alone and to add something to the gospel. I'm tempted to do this all the time. How many times have you tried to justify yourself? To define yourself by what you do or to define yourself by what you should do or what you haven't done instead of defining yourself by what Christ has done for you and who God declares you to be in Christ. So we desperately need this message as basic as it may seem and not just to get saved, not just to know I belong to Christ, but to live and die in joy and comfort and peace and assurance and thankfulness. We need justification by faith alone. So is there any hope for a guilty sinner? How can anyone under the weight of the law be acceptable by God. And again, Paul said, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the only means of justification, the only means of having your, your guilt and your shame fully removed, the only means of being accepted and loved by God. Four, what is faith? What is faith? Simply put, faith is trusting in, believing in, putting complete confidence in. And notice what the object of faith absolutely must be, Jesus Christ. A guilty sinner can be justified under the law and totally accepted by God, totally loved by God, totally welcomed by God, simply by receiving Jesus Christ by faith. Paul said the same thing, slightly different way, in the second part of verse 16. So we also have believed in, that's faith, Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Faith is not standing outside of the building and recognizing, yeah, the building's there. Faith is being escorted into the building to dwell there. Follow me now. Paul said that justification is through faith. Through faith. That means that faith is the means through which God justifies you. Remember, justification is not something you do, it's something done to you. Faith is the means through which God acts and gives you the gift of Christ's perfect righteousness. Faith is the conduit through which God imputes or credits or reckons or attributes or ascribes the perfect righteousness of Christ to you. You could say faith is the delivery truck 
God sends out through which God delivers to you the perfect righteousness of Christ. So what we're doing now is we're digging deeper into the gospel. And at this point, you need to understand a doctrine called double imputation. Double imputation. Okay, double imputation is central to the gospel. Listen very carefully. You'll be able to hang with this. Imputation is to ascribe or attribute either the guilt or the righteousness of one person to another. Ascribing it, imputing it, accrediting it to another. So take all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your miserable life, all that you've done wrong, add it all up, past, present, and future. When you trust in Christ, it means that all of that mess All of your sin and guilt was imputed or ascribed or attributed to Christ on the cross as if he was sinful and guilty of everything that you committed. It's thrown onto Christ. That's the imputation of your sin and guilt to Christ on the cross through faith. It happens through faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 confirms it. To Christians, Paul wrote, This is to Christians now. For our sake, that's true believers. He's talking to true believers. For our sake, he made him, that's Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. That's the imputation of our horrendous sin and guilt onto the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ. So that in him, that's union with Christ by faith, we might become the righteousness of God. That's justification. When you trust in Christ, you can know for sure, dear saints, that Christ took upon himself your sins, your guilt. He suffered hell for you. That's one part of imputation. But it's double imputation. There is another glorious imputation. It is the imputation of Christ's perfect righteousness to everyone who trusts in him. Look at verse 16 again. Paul said, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is not simply believing the facts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan goes that far. It's much more than that. Faith is the confidence put into Christ that God works in our hearts, and that's taught in Ephesians 2 and Galatians 5, through which God grants us the perfect righteousness of Christ as a gift. You have to ask yourself, what about Jesus Christ am I trusting in? Why him as opposed to all of this? What is Jesus Christ? What what does that mean? What's behind that? And so in verse 16, behind the name Jesus Christ is all this stuff. Maybe said the same, different ways, the same thing. Behind Jesus Christ is Christ's perfect righteousness. Christ's perfect law-keeping, Christ's perfect covenant-keeping, Christ's perfect merits, Christ's perfect accomplishments, Christ's perfect works of the law, Christ's perfect life, Christ's perfect death, Christ's perfect resurrection. All of who Christ is is what we're putting our trust in, that His work is sufficient for us. 
Being justified in God's sight comes down to what you put your trust in. If you trust in your own righteousness or works or merits, they aren't good enough and you're not justified. If you trust in Christ's righteousness or works or merits alone, they are more than enough for God and you are justified. So what are you trusting in, dear friends? Now, saving faith is not vague or undefined. Vague and undefined faith, it's worthless and it cannot save you, will not justify you, will not take you to God. The object of justifying faith must be the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Faith says, I put no confidence in me because I am sinful, guilty, and ashamed, but I put all my confidence in Christ who obeyed the law perfectly for me, and because I am in him, God considers me righteous too and is conforming me to the beautiful image of my Savior. There is no gospel without double imputation. If our sins and guilt are not imputed to Christ on the cross and Christ's righteousness is not imputed to us through faith, there is no gospel. Many Christians carry the weight, the struggle of whether they are good enough to be accepted by and loved by God. That's a burden because the focus is in the wrong place. It's on us. Beloved saints, when we look to Christ, we see in Him the only reason we are accepted and loved by God. Listen very carefully. There is nothing in you, nothing in you which God accepts and loves. You have done nothing but offend Him your entire life. But here is the gospel. God accepts and loves Christ alone. Therefore, your only hope of being accepted and loved by God is being in Christ. And you are in Christ when you trust in Christ. And when you trust in Christ, beloved saints, you are inseparably united to Christ, which means God accepts you and loves you as much as He accepts and loves His Son. Now, as I wrote that last line this week, I had to stop. I thought about it. Yes, it's true. And it's glorious. When I, Jonathan Shirk, a guilty and condemned sitter, put my trust in Christ and received God's grace and the perfect righteousness of Christ through faith, God actually considers me perfectly righteous and accepts me and loves me as much as he accepts and loves his son. God eternally loves his beautiful son, Jesus, but he also eternally loves me because by his grace, he united me to his son through faith. I did nothing. God did everything. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. God did it all. Faith unites us to Christ who is the only reason why God accepts and loves 
If you look inside yourself for the reason God accepts and loves you, you will miss the beauty and supremacy of Christ and you will not be justified. Look to Christ. Friends, and there are some of you who so need to hear this. We all do. You do not need to perform to be accepted and loved by God. You simply need to receive Christ by faith. With double imputation in mind, let me ask again, what is faith? Well, the Heidelberg says it so well, I wish I would have written this, and captures so many scriptures. Just listen. True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. Nailed it. Philip Riken. I respect this man. He puts it like this. Faith is a total surrender to Jesus Christ. A complete acceptance of all that he is and all that he has done for our salvation. The reason faith justifies is that it takes hold of Christ. And Christ is the one who makes us right with God. We are acceptable to God, not by keeping the law ourselves, but by trusting in the only man who ever did keep it, Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification can be stated in these general terms. We get right with God, not by observing the law, but only by trusting in His Son. That preaches, do you love it? Is this like, I need to hear that over and over again, that's precious to me. Is that how you respond to this? Do do, do you ever wonder in your mind, am I worthy or good enough to be loved by God? Do you ever struggle with that? You see, that thought does not lead you to comfort. Because the answer is no, 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 you're not worthy, you're not good enough. This is the thought that leads to true comfort and assurance. I am completely and utterly accepted and loved by God because Christ, my faithful Savior, is righteous and God considers me righteous because I am united to Him by faith. When you begin to doubt the acceptance and love of God, is it real for me? Turn not to your own worthiness or goodness. In fact, don't turn to yourself at all, but turn to Christ who is worthy. Turn to Christ who is good. Turn to Christ who is righteous. He is your righteousness, dear saints. Now I ask as your pastor, please read the Heidelberg Catechism. Please read it, especially regarding this, Questions 56 through 65. 56 through 65. Please read them for your own encouragement and clarity and edification. They will help you fight for joy. But let me read just one. I wish I could read all of them and preach on all of them. Maybe someday, but just one. Question 60. It's beautiful. It asks this. How are you righteous before God? And you need to have the right answer, church. 
This is the difference with having Christ and not having Christ. Having comfort, not having comfort. Having joy, not having joy. You have to get this one right and just listen. It's so simple and it's so true. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. I beg of you to receive it with a believing heart. To get rid of your guilt, to get rid of your sin, to trust Christ that he is a faithful savior. That's how you're righteous before God. And you are righteous. God looks at you and says, mine through Christ. She is righteous. I consider her righteous even though I know what she does. But I know what my son did for her. She's mine. He's mine. Now that's Heidelberg's statement. That's very precious to me. And I hope your heart leaps when you hear it. To think that even though you and I have made a complete wreck of things with our sin, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ are given to us as gifts of grace. And we receive them all simply by trusting. Trusting Christ. Paul wrote verses 15 and 16 to give sinners actual hope. Saints, please hear this loud and clear. God accepts you. God loves you, God delights in you, God sings over you, God cherishes you, God rejoices over you, but not because of you, but because of his son. God accepts and loves you as much as he accepts and loves his own son, precisely because Christ rescued you and you now belong to him. You are good enough for God's love when you possess Christ's righteousness by faith and are actively being transformed to be like Christ. Apart from Christ and relying, if you rely on your own merits, you're condemned by God. Not accepted and loved. Christ is everything. He's everything. So before I wrap up, let me clarify something important. To be precise now, it is not faith itself that justifies it's not your great act of believing. Look what I have done in believing. That it's not that that justifies you. That would be works righteousness. To be precise, faith is the instrument through which God gives you the righteousness of Christ, which justifies you. God is doing the work and giving you Christ's righteousness through faith, which he also gives you. It is not your faith that works, so to speak, but God who works to justify you in Christ through the faith that he gives you. And this is why it is to the praise of God's glorious grace and not to the praise of our glorious faith. And since it is the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts, we need not fear losing it. 
Who's sustaining your faith? Who's building your faith? The Spirit is. The Spirit is. So we don't have to fear. We need not fear our faith growing so weak that it breaks and shatters and it's done. No, no. Our loving Father will sustain and strengthen our faith to the end by His Spirit who gives grace. The Belgic Confession says, quote, and faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with Him and with all His benefits. End of quote. You don't lose it. Believers, you are accepted and loved by God as much as you will ever be. Right now. Because of Christ. Would you let that sink in? It hasn't fully sunk into me. Maybe, it, maybe it's sinking into you more than me. I hope so. I'm so thick-skulled about this stuff. I love what, what Martin Luther said about this. He said this. I have to read it as it states. It's a little weird, but you'll get it. When the law accuseth him, and sin terrifieth him, he looketh up to Christ. And when he hath apprehended him by faith, he hath present with him the conqueror of the law, sin, death, and the devil. And Christ reigneth and ruleth over them so, they cannot, so that they cannot hurt the Christian. Remember the tiny mites? Remember the barons? Remember the stealers? When you face the law and it accuses you and it terrifies you, look to Christ who is your righteousness and realize that the conqueror of the law, sin, death, and the devil is with you, protecting you from the false accusations of the law, which are no longer true. The law says you are not good enough. And, and friend, don't vilify the law. The law is very good to tell us we're not good enough. Okay, so it is a good law, but it says you're not good enough. And the gospel says, I am accepted and loved by God because of my faithful Savior who is good enough. So real quick, what place do good works have then? This is a dangerous sermon. Do we need good works at all? And the old saying goes like this. We are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. We are justified by faith alone, but not, that a, faith, but not uh, a faith that is alone. God, good works do not contribute in any way, shape, or form to our justification. But your justification is the cause or the motivation of your good works. Good works are gratitude, which inevitably, always flow out of being justified. That order is so important. You cannot get that messed up. So, folks, what have I been trying to say? Basically, one thing. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly what Paul is saying. I just want to say old things, old true things. Jonathan's not that creative. Just say what has been said. That truth right there will comfort you over and over again. Your soul can rest, dear Christian, in that. The greatest thing about justification by faith alone is that we belong to God to enjoy God forever because of Christ. Your sin, guilt, shame, mistakes, faults, failures, they may discourage you at sometimes. I think we're all there, but saints... They will not take joy from you. 
because you belong to Christ and he has made you right with God. And God accepts you and God loves you. Father, thank you for the richness of the gospel. How we can say with Paul, wretched man that I am, and yet at the same time say, oh, it is Christ who has rescued me. So I pray, God, that we can balance these two realities in our life, that our flesh is sinful and we are drawn to do things that are wicked and evil, and yet our spirit is willing and in, uh, in union with Christ by faith, and we want to do the right things, and there's this war inside of us. Help us to simply be consistent with that and, and understand the war. And then, God, give us hope. Give us hope in justification by faith alone. And that you are at work in us after you have accepted us and loved us. You work by your Holy Spirit through the gospel to produce beautiful works of, uh, that please you. Even though our good works, they're filled with weird motives and unrighteousness, you still accept them because of the perfect merits of your Son. And so you smile upon our attempts to obey you. And, and it isn't to our credit, it's to the credit of your glorious grace. Oh, may the people of Jerusalem Church delight in justification by faith, and not just that all of their sin guilt has been removed, but that this is the means you have used to bring them to yourself, to enjoy you. God, may you be the pleasure of our hearts. May we not delight in the gifts over the giver of the gifts. May you be the delight and the, the treasure of our heart. In Jesus' name and for your glory we pray, amen.